the beginning of like a kind of a dark chapter of my life, you know. I didn't like getting bullied, so then I stood up for myself, and then I got labeled as a troublemaker because I punched out some kid. And uh, I said, well, that fixed that problem, so maybe I'll punch out the next kid, so I punch out the next kid, and then that doesn't work out so good. And then you get some kids that they come in groups called gangs, and they try to jump you, you know, and you know, and then you think, well, okay, so if I'm getting jumped by people, maybe I got to get involved in gangs too, so you get involved in gangs, and then that's my gang and your gang. What's up, you know? And it just, it really snowballed out of control. Holy cow, guys, what a teaser for this episode. This is episode two of six for the Duluth Hero Roast. And if you haven't listened to our episode one of the Duluth Hero Roast with Sean Flurkey, please tune in and listen as that episode really ties in to all the other episodes that you're going to hear within this podcast. So sit back and enjoy this episode. Thank you for listening to the Finding Fire podcast. We appreciate each and every one of you. Hi there. I am Shannon, the owner-operator of Yellow White Coffee. I am so excited to share with you another addition to our Hero Roasts line of coffees. To come off of our revolutionary Bellwether Coffee Roasting Machine, this is an all-electric, zero-carbon emission roasting machine. This is seriously the biggest advancement and true game-changer in the specialty coffee industry. So we've waited a long time to say that we now have an official Yellow Bite Coffee. And we chose to base these roasts from some amazing local heroes. It's been a heck of a year. And I've had the privilege to meet some new people along the way. And I've gotten to know some existing folks in a deeper and more profound way. So these four people, they're the subjects of our first four hero roasts. I'm so excited for you to learn more about them and why they are true heroes and why we all need their life message. So Zach Walters, a.k.a. Jungle Boy, he is our next roast to hit the market, appropriately named Buzzy. We chose a regional select bean from Peru. It's a washed processed bean with some delectable notes of caramel and red grape. It's sugary and tart. The regional selects program, it's a co-op of small holder farmers focusing on what we call taste of place, which means you can know where it comes from, even down to a micro region based on the tasting notes. So as always, we have our 8% give back program, which means 8% of the proceeds of this coffee are going to go towards Zach's nonprofit at his jungle gym, which provides resources for kids to be trained and really invested into. And it just removes that simple financial barrier. So you can learn more about Zach and what he does on our website, yellowbike.coffee, where you can pre-order his coffee. Fulfillment is end of this month. And you can find the link to the podcast as well, which is an easy way to share with your friends. So take a listen. We're really excited for you to learn more about Zach. So again, this is episode two of the Yellow Bike Hero Roast with Jungle Boy Zach Walters. Everyone, this was such a really cool story to hear. We talk about everything from him being born in the U.S., moving to Madagascar, moving back to the U.S., uh, his childhood growing up in a gang, him being the 12th ranked boxer in the world, in his weight class, and hearing the rest of his story. So stay tuned. This is a really exciting episode, everyone. And, and as always, thank you for your support. Please follow us at Finding Fire Podcast and leave a review. We'd appreciate it. Thank you. Well, Zach, let's just start with who is Zach Walters? That is such a big question. I know. Because I got like a lot of different things going yeah. on. So let's talk your beginning. The beginning life. So your first... So early life with Zach is in Madagascar. Madagascar, the island, missionary kid, 
over there. <clears throat> um, definitely a cool. And in Madagascar, there's kind of two chapters. The first chapter is my parents were uh, boarding school parents in the southern part of the uh, the island. And uh, so I grew up with a huge crowd of, like, playmates, like buddies and just all kinds of kids to do stuff with. You know, we live in a giant boarding school house. And uh, my, my dad went to boarding school when he was a kid, so he said, well, it wasn't a good experience for him. But he said, if I could do it my way, I would do a lot of stuff. So we, there was tons of activities, tons of going out on hikes and bike rides and and tons of activities. We go like like uh, sledding on the sand dunes was really fun. That was pretty awesome. We go climbing the mountains because uh, there's mountains right next to um, the ocean there where the the uh, it creates a jungle. It's pretty cool. Like the the stuff gets just trapped there. The, the moisture gets trapped there. So there's like a it's not like it's almost rainforest, but not. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, really cool. There's butterflies everywhere. You catch catch, catch and mountain butterflies like crazy. Um, there's chameleons everywhere. We go visit the lemurs. You know, we'd see lemurs in the wild and watch them rustle through the trees. You know, which is super cool stuff. Um, that sounds like every kid's like dream. That was pretty cool. Pretty yeah. pretty darn sweet. Um, Love to go fishing. Um, and uh, spearfishing, netting fish as I got older and more capable of doing stuff. Um, but <clears throat> that was the southern part of the island then. So how old were you? Like, when? what were those years of your life? Like, how old? So the younger years in Madagascar, was probably till I was seven or so. Mm-hmm. Then we moved up to the central highlands. And um, yeah, Tana, when my dad got a different job um, with the mission out there, and we... We're homeschooled by my mom and lived on the outskirts of the big city, so it wasn't so, like, jungly. Um, just, yeah, it was colder. There was no ocean, which I didn't like. Um, but uh, nonetheless, we made our friends and had a good time, had a good time. Um, it was probably in Tana that I started learning, like, uh, about fighting and stuff like that. We'd watch... Uh, We'd watch these movies up at the theater. They were American movies translated into French with Malagasy subtitles. It was like it's like the translated, translated, translated version of the movie. <laughs> yeah. We'd sit there and watch these things and just we couldn't understand anything they're saying anymore because it's all translated. But we'd watch them be like Chuck Norris or Bruce Lee or John Claude Van Damme. You know, we'd, yeah. we'd go watch these these big movies. And watch all the, the kicks and fight moves and stuff. And then we go down to the rice paddies and you try to reenact stuff. You know, there's like a there's like a three against one situation and Bruce Lee did it. So us three versus you, you know. Let's see how good you are. <laughs> so what la- what language that, that brings that up? Obviously it was English in your family. So I grew up pretty much bilingual uh, with Malagasy and English. Um, of course, English was the primary language of my family mm-hmm. but then uh as i grew up all my friends are malagasy so grew up using both languages pretty pretty consistently you know so the island of madagascar like it's independent yep yep it used to be a french colony that's what i wondered if it was it like used a, french. To be a french colony okay. so french is the second language there and then you know some of the businessmen and upper class people they can speak some english but Otherwise, Malagasy was the native the native language there, and then that was broken up into several dialects. 
depending on the tribes and where part of the island you're at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how long, um, so that the second location, the Central Highlands, how long were you there? Um, till I was 11, so five years, mm-hmm. six years and five years, mm-hmm. or inverted. So were these movies? Is that kind of where kind of you're the, like, well, hey. Everybody was obsessed with martial arts out there, you know, obsessed, you know, like the Kung Fu Chi, you know, yeah. all those kinds of stuff. Everybody tries to learn Kung Fu and stuff, and we just run around and jump kick each other. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. <laughs> Telling your buddies, hey, just stand here. Let me practice. <laughs> oh no, we have we'd have all of it's never like that. It's all of fights, but it's all in like good neighborhood fun. Yeah, we get together down the rice paddies and s- scrap it out. I don't know. And then there was like neighborhood situations where like the Mbatu Bay people up there on the hill they'd come down into our our rice paddy area and they go swimming at our spot and we go pick branches from the the trees and storm the storm them, you know, and <laughs> and they all they all skinny dip out there, right? So as we, ah, we come charging down the hill and uh, we see them like jumping out of there and grabbing their clothes and they're like, smack, 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 smack. Yeah. <laughs> Getting us, then when we're swimming and they storm us, you know, it's like, ah, it's just crazy. You yeah. never know when your rice paddy's going to get jumped. Never know. Never know. But it's always like this neighborhood fun games, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Madagascar was fun. You know, um, as I got older, um, going, we, we'd go back and forth to the, um, we'd go back down to the southern part of the island for, like, you know, winter break and, and summer or breaks, you know, from school. So we'd go down there for, like, a month and come back up for the other parts of the year. So mm-hmm. when we were down there, um, spearfishing and hiking and catching butterflies and all that kind of stuff, big, big part of my life. Some of the, my favorite things to do out there was, you know, snorkeling around the reefs and going spearfishing. Super fun. Yeah. So your your dad worked there. And then, so when um, when did the beekeeping? Because I know that's part of it. When did that come in? Beekeeping and how long did you stay on like the island? Right away. So okay. my dad, when we moved out there, my dad brought a beekeeping kit, mm-hmm. and then I talked to the to the natives out there and said, "Hey, you know, um, I need to get some bees. We're gonna put them in this box." And the Mali guys are like, "There's no way bees are gonna stay in a box. That's stupid." And my dad said, well, you go catch me some bees, and we'll put them in this box, and I'll show you how we're making some honey. Really? And uh, so we had, uh, on, on the boarding school, we had a bee beehive on the back of it there, and we just got tons and tons and tons of honey. Tons of honey. And, like, from, like, bees Bees get what's out there, you know, but we got so much honey. Uh, remember, like, the hibiscus honey was, like, kind of pinkish colored, you know, just, like, the d- different flowers blooming at different times of the year. But we had we always had lots of honey out there. Okay, so I'm curious because I thought, because um, your dad is well known as the bee godfather, mm. you know, for, but for some reason I thought he had learned that there from like natives. But it sounds like he no. brought it there. No. Um, so when my dad was a kid out there, they had some floorboards in there. Um, so they kind of did, kind of didn't. So whatever. So in the floorboards of their mission house, they had some bees that swarmed under there. Mm-hmm. And so a couple times a year, they would build a fire and waft the smoke in there, and they'd pop the floorboards up, and they'd go down with a knife, and they'd cut out the honeycombs mm-hmm. and then put the floor back together, and that was their bees. <laughs> wow. So that was when my dad was a kid. So he grew up there? My dad was out there when he was young, too, yep. Uh, so my grandpa was okay. a missionary out there. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. So this was not, like, just something your parents decided to do. This was, like, now third generation with you. Yep. 
Oh, wow. Pretty much. Okay. So, wow. Definitely cool. So then when my dad came back to the States, um, in between his time in Madagascar and the next time we went out with me and my brothers and sister eventually, um, he learned how to keep bees with a guy named Kendall who had a big beekeeping operation. And my dad would help him with these hives and frames and during the, the harvest season for the bee honeys and stuff. So, yeah. So he learned a, n- a new way of doing bees, more structure, more all that kind of stuff. And so he just brought the package out there, pounded it together, and then threw some bees in there. Wow. One, one memory I have, uh, I used to love watching the bees going in and out of the hive because they bring in different colors of pollen. There's the there's the guard bees that always kind of catch the uh, uh, they don't catch, but they they always inspect everybody coming in. They always meet them. So one one bee's coming in, and they'll meet them right there. So anyways, uh, I was sitting there watching them one day. But on this particular day, it was somebody's birthday, and I had chocolate cake all over my face, like frosting all over my face, right. And uh, so as I was sitting there, a bee landed on my face, and I smacked it. And it lit off that pheromone. Like attack. Uh, like attack. And I got swarmed by bees. They just like, uh, I was like right next to the hive front. And they just swarmed out all over my face, all over my body, up and down my shirt. And my mom is allergic to bee stings. So she's on this side of the screen door. And I'm on the outside. like, ah. I got bees in my mouth, up my nose, in my in my ears. It was seriously a situation. And I remember like being on the other side of the screen, going, ah, mom's like, oh my goodness, somebody help Zach. You know? Well, and she does she know if you're allergic to bees at this point? I don't know. I'm, probably, I, I'm, I'm taking the, the position of a mom right now, being like, we're separated by a screen. I'm it, allergic to bees things. Is my kid allergic to bee stings? And watching you be... Oh, my gosh. So it was kind of crazy. It's giving so me I, tachycardia right now, just like I, I, I remember... That. I seriously remember, like, like crunching bees in oh. my teeth. Like, like just getting... My, my mouth is getting stung up, like, all over my side. One of those early memories. Pretty fun. Don't put that on the... Don't put that on the coffee. <laughs> well, so... Curi- a guy with a mouthful of bees. Yeah. <laughs> but, curi- like, what you know about... Let's just do a quick little flashback here. So what you know about bees now... Do you think if you would have just let it do its thing, it would have just left you alone? It probably was just interested in like the sweet stuff that was on my face. Right. So yeah, right. I would have let it just do its own thing. Like two days ago on Friday, or yeah, Friday, I was putting bees into the hives with my dad. Yeah. And there was bees all over me. But there's a certain kind of way they they fly their wings. It sounds mm-hmm. like vicious. And uh, that's when the bees they want to get you. You know. So <laughs> so we put that's in, the get you buzz. Oh, it's it, it, it's vicious. Uh, so anyways, um, the bees are flying all over me, but the second to last hive, some bee got the darn idea that he's going to sting me on the back of the head. And I'm like, okay, just yeah, get out of there. Comes come right back to the same area. Yeah, get off. Yeah. I was like, dang it, this guy really wants to get me. Son of a gun, he actually got me. I jumped off the container, right on top of a container. Um, so I jumped off the container onto the truck, off the truck, onto the ground. Darn thing was still after me, and he got me before I got him. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you smack him there, then well, everybody comes. You learn yeah. that lesson. <laughs> so, yeah. So anyways, uh, I jumped off, and then he got me, and I don't know. I was far enough away, and we're done. We're done with our duties, but uh, oh, yeah. Oh, boy. 
So you are now in, um, now you're 11, 12, like get into those teenage years. Teenage years were, were hard. So um, just before my 12th birthday, we moved from Madagascar to the States. And uh, um, in my mind, I was like, ah, we're going to come back sometime. You know? Minnesota? We moved to Minnesota, moved to St. Paul. Okay. And it was uh, middle of winter. And so we came from summer weather out there because Southern Hemisphere, it's the summer when it's winter over here. Mm-hmm. Came from extreme summer to extreme winter, and it was not cool. And uh, and had you been back to the States at all? We came back every three years or so okay. for home leaving to re-up our visas and right. all that kind of stuff. Um, but the States was not really any place that you had much no. experience with. No, not much, no. Uh, I always, you know, like... I always consider myself, hey, I'm an American, you know, and but like being an American and thinking you're an American are two different things and mm-hmm. grew up overseas, you know. So learned that right away in school. Um, transition was hard. I mean, me and my brothers, all, our whole family had a hard transition, just hard stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, yeah. Where, where do you land in your siblings? And were you born there or were you born here? I was born here in the States. Okay. My younger brother and sister were born out there. So my, my parents, um, didn't think they could have kids, so they applied for adoption of my older brother. Mm-hmm. And when they got approved for adoption of my older brother from Columbia, then they got surprised pregnant with me. Okay. And uh, so um, instead of having one adopted kid, then after, invite, uh, after adopting Jesse, then they were going to move out to Madagascar. Um, but then they got surprised pregnant with me. My mom was like, I'm not having my first kid in Madagascar. So they had me here and then moved out to Madagascar. So you were weeks, months old? Um, they made a stop in France for some months out there. And then yeah, like probably a year old. So yeah, I was 12 when I moved to the States. So it was basically 11, first 11 years in Madagascar. Yeah. Yeah. So you're in St. Paul. Trying to adjust, and it's just a new world now. Yep, and then there's kids at school that think it's pretty funny that I'm not from here and get picked on a little bit and get bullied a little bit, and finally you get tired of that, and this get, this kind of becomes a, the beginning of like a kind of a dark chapter of my life, you know. I didn't like getting bullied, so then I stood up for myself, and then I got labeled as a troublemaker because I punched out some kid. And uh, I said, well, that fixed that problem, so maybe I'll punch out the next kid. So you punch out the next kid, and then that doesn't work out so good. And then you get some kids that they come in groups called gangs, and they try to jump you, you know. And you know, and then you think, well, okay, so if I'm getting jumped by people, maybe i got to get involved in gangs too. So you get involved in gangs, and then that's my gang and your gang. What's up, you know? And it just it really snowballed out of control um, pretty quickly um, where uh, – St. Paul, we were there for, uh, I don't know, maybe five, six months, then moved out to California. For uh, We lived out there for a while, and that's where things continue to get kind of crazy. Where in California? Fresno. Okay, I was going to say, if you're going to say L.A., I was going to be like, let's talk about gangs a little bit more. But Fresno's actually pretty nuts. It's yeah. nuts. It's, it's nuts. So the gang... So I'm, the gang... Allure as a 13, 14, 15 year old? It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. So I, I got, I wasn't uh, into gangs or anything. Um, I knew what they were, I knew what they stood up for and stuff like that. 
I got expelled from a school, um, got expelled from another school. I was in homeschool, or home studies, and finally got accepted to another school in another district. And while I was there, kind of slowly warming up to a couple of uh, the other kids there, and there's these uh, Asian kids that a lot of their, they're, they're kind of fresh off the boat. I feel fresh off the boat. Um, their their culture was very similar to Madagascar and how their family always ate together, the big big bowl of rice. The, the whole thing kind of reminded me of being in Madagascar. We went over to the uh, the Asian projects with them, you know. Um, along with that, they, these guys were all in a gang, right? So down the road a little bit, I'm friends with these guys, kind of hang out with them and stuff, but I'm not in their gang, but we're friends. And uh, there's a kid in my, my FIED class that was kind of a little, little hardened now, but he's disrespecting me. And this stuff has to stop, you know. And so before it gets out of hand and bullying gets out of hand, you got to, you know, my whole idea was I was going to stand up for myself. So anyways, beat him up pretty bad in, in the locker room. Well, he, uh, he said that I crossed the line and his cousin's going to put a cap in my ass, you know. He's going to put a cap in your ass. Um, so anyways, um, sure enough, the next day we're playing soccer, me and my Asian buddies out there. And across the field comes um, two bigger guys from the high school from down the way. And you're and how old right now? I'm 14. Okay. And, uh, no, 13. I don't know, 13 or 14, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, across the way comes a kid that I beat up in uh, in Fayed, and uh, he meets up with them, and they pull out their, their gangster bandanas, and I see that one of them has got a little pistol in his hand. I'm like, I guess it's really going to happen, you know? So, so uh, my friends see that those guys are wearing their rag, their, their bandanas, and they're like, uh, oh, what's up with those guys? Why are they coming here? I was like, oh, yeah, remember that I beat up, I beat him up in gym class yesterday, and he said his cousin's going to put a cap in my ass, and they're like, no, you're with us, you know? We got, we got your back. And all of a sudden, all the little, little people I was with, they all broke out their bandanas, and they're like, we got you, you know? And they stood up for me, and they they mediated the whole conversation and and uh, um, squashed the beef, you know, squashed the beef, and uh, uh, ended up being the first time anybody ever stood up for me in the states, you know, like these guys stood up for me when they had nothing to gain, um, and uh, that's it, you know, I'm in. You know, whatever, I'm with you guys. You know, you guys stood up for me when no one else would. I didn't expect them to. I'm just like, yeah, they're, gonna, they're about to see me get shot. This is, this is going to be really bad, you know. And uh, they stood up for me, and I was like, all right, that's it. I'm with you guys. So maybe about two weeks later, I got jumped in. There you go. You got what? Jumped in. So I joined their gang. Okay. Yeah. That comes along with all the gang mischief. That you do when you're a little gangster. <laughs> what were your parents? Did your parents know about all this stuff? Yeah, they did. You know, you come home and you're all beat up. And like, what happened to you? Nothing. <laughs> Wasn't good. Our, our family is like out of control. California was not good. Um, probably about four months after I got jumped in to the gang and. Um, my family decided to move from California back to Minnesota. And uh, we moved to small town Minnesota. And 
you know, we showed up and we've, to me, I felt like I finally figured out America. You got to get respect and start a gang and, and you'll be safe, you know? So I showed up in small town Minnesota and I was like walking around representing and standing up pretty bad. I get uncomfortable talking about that stuff. Yeah. But, so uh, small town Minnesota where? Um, well, it's Earhart, Minnesota. From Earhart, Minnesota, you go to Pelican Rapids, Minnesota. That's where the school is. Okay. And then so western, like central western yeah, Minnesota. Yeah, Dirt Lakes. Yeah, okay. Area. Not good. So, so how do you want to... We're just not going to talk about all that. I know. Because eventually I find boxing and that works out. That's well, that's happy, what I'm saying. That's like, a so, much happier story. Right. So, so I, want to, I want to somehow like touch on it and, and address it in a way that leads into boxing. It's hard, it's, hard, it's hard to talk about the troubled stuff without explaining it. You know, it's, it's just hard not to explain. Because like, it's, it's so many chapters ago. Um, it's like, how did you get it? What the heck? You know, and I still like, I look back and I'm like, geez, the, some of the stuff I did is just ridiculous. So you're 14, 15. Yeah. And then when do you feel like there was a turning point? Like how old were you when you're turning point? And then the back, the back door question to that is then during those years, um, well, when was there a turning point? Like what age were you when you feel like there was a turning point? Um, I would have been uh, 16 years old, 17 years old. Um, I'd ran away from home. I was living on the streets, you know, sleeping in abandoned cars, um, stealing food from grocery stores and eating everything. It was like just terrible life, you know, but I, but I was avoiding getting arrested uh, for some stuff that I was, they finally caught up to me. And so then I got arrested and I was sitting in juvie and, uh, um, coming off of all the stuff I was on when I was living on the street and kind of getting re-nourished and stuff. And I was like, man, there's got to be a better way, you know? And uh, So did you feel like you hit rock bottom during those couple years? Because that's a really young age as, in, to in a feel way, like, you know. In a way, in a way, yeah, definitely. I was like, I definitely had a conscious idea that I wanted to change things up, you know, and then uh, I went to Woodland Hills, the organization here. Um, went there for 11 and a half months. At 16? Yeah, 16, 17, yep. Yep, 16, 17. I was there for 11 months, yep. So that was where I first got the 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 kind of the... Um, I got the idea in Juvie before going there that I wanted to change something. And then um, at Woodland Hills, I kind of learned to process things better. Like, I always wondered, like, how did I end up a bad kid? You know, I was just generally mad at America. I remember going to counseling prior to Woodland Hills. Just, America made me this way. You know, when I go back to Madagascar, you want to fix these problems? Get me a one-way ticket, you know? Um, I was never this way in Madagascar. You know, mischievous, yes. Angry and out of control, no. You know, so I kind of knew, I always knew, I always knew I was out of control, but um, in Woodland Hills, kind of, put life on pause where through the, you know, group sessions and talking to peers and you kind of kind of end up sorting some things out and so it kind of gave you some structure to intentionally sort through some things. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's, that's where, that's where, you know, things started. So then when I got out of there, I was, you know, I, I chose to use boxing as a kind of a pillar boxing church family, 
you know, get a job. Who even told of, you about boxing? Like, how did that boxing even cross your path? Boxing happened prior to Woodland Hills. So I was still being a troublemaker kid, mm-hmm. getting in fights and stuff. Um, and uh, my mom and dad were like, you got to be involved in a sport. So I tried basketball, was terrible at basketball. When basketball was over, like, well, you're signing up for another sport. What are you going to do? And, and so my younger brother, Jake, was involved in uh, in taekwondo, and he was, like, super good because, you know, me, me and my brothers, we always like to scrap. And so I was like, man, I want to do that, but I would rather just uh, do kickboxing instead of go through all the belts. Mm-hmm. Um, Jacob was, like, super good, and there was no way I was going to catch him because every time he would test for his belts – he wouldn't just break the board. He'd, like, shatter it. You know, I mean, he was, like, super-duper good. Everything he did was just all out. Anyways, I knew that he'd always be, like, a couple belts ahead of me, and I was like, ah, I can't have little bro, you know, being a belt above <laughs> me, not even for a class, you know? So anyways, uh, his sensei told me about boxing, and then I got into boxing, and, and that was a sure fit. You know, my first year competing, I went to nationals and got third, and uh, it was the first time I ever basically won anything with, like, significance. And know? that was, what age was that? That was at uh, 15. Okay. So 15. And well, so you I, had a lot going on between, like, ages 12 to 16, 17. Too much. Wow. It's a, it's a blurry chapter, man, you know? And then uh, after Woodland Hills, got out, pursued boxing, got back involved in it, um, finished high school, came to Duluth. I wanted to do boxing in college, and uh, yeah, so then in Duluth, you know, I had a couple of other hiccups, which ultimately that became my, my rock bottom is the the low I got hit with in, uh, in college, and uh, that's when I was just like, that's it. Boxing, family, Christianity, those are my main pillars. So I know you don't like, and we've talked about this a little bit where you're like, I don't like to talk about like the bad Zach or the bad Zach times or this and that. But I think it's really important to give some context. So is there anything like you're comfortable enough talking about? Because here's the thing. People are struggling really bad, especially right now. And when they, they see you now, I'm like, here's Zach and you know, respectable clothes and he's running a business and he's running an entire business networking thing. And he's running a gym, like he's doing all these amazing things that has come out of somewhere, you True. know? Yeah. And so I don't want to ask you to do something you're not comfortable with, but I, if there's something you're willing to, um, share some about that. I can, you know, I'm a person in recovery. And, uh, so like, you know, I've got drug use and addiction in my past, you know, and uh, coming up April Fool's Day, it was 19 years of sobriety for me. Wow. Congratulations. And so I do a little Facebook celebrate thing. Da-da-da, yeah. Facebook, you know. Because you're how old now? Let's establish that. 40. 40. Oh, yeah, that's right. Big 4 What, what, what? What happened? Yeah, I know. Well, hey, I mean, listening to this snippet and just, you know, cliff note version, that you've this, lived till 40? Yeah, it's kind of nuts. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So you, so you, because I'm what I'm listening to kind of a pattern here, and I'm wondering what eventually broke that pattern because clearly there was hurt and pain coming back and not fitting, and you know you had that ages 14, 15, 16 going to Woodland Hills. It kind of started maybe gaining some skills, you know, left there, 
but then dove down again in college. So at what point, you know, was there, you know, what happened or at what point did you say, I need to continue this path of figuring out how to sort through this stuff? Well, you know, I was trying to, like, uh, you know, basically I had to kick addiction to the curb, you know, using whether it's drinking or smoking weed or the other drug stuff. Don't want to get into that stuff. But, uh, but yeah, um, I just have to be, I have to live sober. Got to keep my head, keep my head straight. Um, I got addictive personality. Just can't, can't mess with that stuff. So that one, personal decision to do that. And uh, um, went to treatment, all those kinds of things. But treatment was more like a, a secondary thing. My mind was already made up before I went there. I just, I was facing some uh, pretty serious uh, charges um, with the courts, and I wanted to do as much pre-work as possible to show them that they don't have to make me change because I'm already, like, on the way. I already get it. I'm already done. But you can you can say it as much as you want when you go to court. But oh, they've heard it all. But they've they heard hear, it all. Yeah. So, yeah. so what I did was I went to treatment and... and and uh, got my graduated treatment certificate. I was already sober. Went to, went to school, and uh, my my classes were not doing good. But I met with all my professors. Told them that I'm uh, working on um, uh, trying to save my skin here. So I'm trying to get my. Uh, how can I salvage my grades so I can show a promising uh, college career here? So I salvaged my classes. Met with my, Got that on points. That was documented. Like, you know, he was doing terrible. And now he's doing good. All right. Then uh, um, I started going to church. Started going to Hillside Community Church. Um, went there um, and uh, went and joined the church. Um, went to the class. Got it. I said, "Can I get a certificate that says I joined?" <laughs> they got me a certificate. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Um, but but prior to that though. Was was the day after, um, <clears throat> probably like one of the worst nights of my life, you know, um, and I just broke down in tears, and uh, you know, just said I need to get a better life, you know, and so the next is ironically a Saturday after um, a terrible night, you know. So then uh, on Sunday went to church, and I just felt like there was this. Lured to get called up to the worship service front, walking to the front of the church, and got saved. And uh, because and, you tried everything <clears throat> to this point too. Oh yeah, I mean God had lots, lots of talks. Save me, save me, and I'll, I'll never do it again. You know. And then you do it again. And then you do it again. So I, was, so I said, hey, God, you know, we've had this talk before, but this time I really mean it. And I know you can see my heart. <laughs> because it seems like a pattern of yeah. just like. Being but this was like. This was it, you know. This was like it, and I knew it was it because I knew it was it. Only you can know that. Mm -hmm. Only you know when it's it, you know. And uh, I said, "Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it." And so at the, at the time, I figured, you know, my charges are pretty heavy, and I was going to probably end up going to prison. And uh, um, and I'm like, "Oh, maybe God wants me to be a prison missionary. Whatever, you know. I'll take whatever's coming's coming. I'll take it. You know. You do the crime, you do the time, kind of." mentality and uh and you're um, what 19 at right? this is when i was 20 20 when i was 20 wow 21 sorry 21 21 21 facing possible prison oh, yeah 
and uh, and then you know this whole like giving giving my life to God kind of thing, um, and just believing God's got a plan through the whole thing. Um, stuff just started falling together. It wasn't me. Like all of a sudden, uh, I was kicked out of the gym. They let me come back in there. I said, "Hey, I just want to." polish up my skills before I go to prison because I might have to fight in there. You know, protect myself. Might have to, you know, and so Chuck let me come back to the gym just to punch a bag on the side over there. So I did, and uh, and then uh, he goes, so when do you go to court for your charges? And, ah, next month. I'm probably going to get sent away, but whatever. Thanks for letting me use the gym. And he goes, well, you got to get a lawyer, you know. I'm like, dude, I'm busted, you know. And he goes, well... I'll take care of the. I'll take care of it for you. So he sorted it out and got me a lawyer, and my lawyer got me into a, got me into like a deferment program, called drug court, and drug court. Ah, no I way. Was, I was, a, I was, in the first class of drug court when it was a pilot program. Was that Sean Flurkey? Sean was not a part of that back then. Okay. He was not a part of that. Because that was his mainstay. So Johnny Resnick went through that and. Yeah, so I'm I'm wow. be, because of my success in drug court, the program was able to stay cuz I was like the first graduate. I'm talking wow. like big stories in the papers. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Drug so, court so has like, helped so many people. Yeah. So, that's definitely a part of the story. Kind of cool. For anybody listening that has no idea what drug court entails, mm-hmm. like what did you have to go through during that? There's different phases. I'm not sure if it's different now, um, but uh, drug court is a it's a deferment program, so you get in trouble. You know, with me, I got I got uh, um, raided by the drug task force team. is not good, um, and uh, um, so if I complete drug court successfully, then the charges will be expunged, sealed. You know, pretty cool. So that's awesome. Big incentive. Um, so anyways, uh, it starts out really intense. You're level one, level two, level three. So level one, you, you show up to court. I think it's every week. Yeah, every week you go to court. What's your plan? How was your last, how was your last week? What's your plan for next week? You, you answer right to a judge. And then uh, and, and uh, if you have hiccups during the last week, then sometimes you have to take a time out and sit at... Bethel work release, or they sit, sit up at the county jail for a weekend or two, <laughs> and uh, you can get a time out here and there. Um, but uh, but yeah, so every week you 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 meet the judge and and talk about last week, talk about next week, and then you get to level two, and that's every other week, and then level three is once a month, and then after that you're out of the program. But it took quite a while. I was like. Two and a half years, probably, but it, but being that drug court was brand new, um, the Duluth News Tribune had a person that um, did a story on the program. Just they wanted to follow a person through the program mm-hmm. to their successful or unsuccessful completion, and uh, this guy came in there, and uh, the other drug court people were like, "Oh my goodness, I can't believe you." this person invade my privacy you know and I was like I kind of like that guy you know I just want to be nice to him so I got talking to him and I accepted the the um invitation to have a story I don't know whatever it was and uh yeah 
so we met, and he goes, and he goes, before we start, Zach, I'm going to write this whole story in three parts. Right now, it's who you are and why you're in here. Then we'll do a check-in with you, and then we'll do one wrapping it up at the end. I'm going to write this whole thing whether you're doing good or not, so you know what you're signing up for. Uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna complete this thing, and I'm like, I'm just gonna be awesome. He goes, all right, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it ended up being awesome. So I still got the stories. I, I want to see that. So I'm super curious, like, what was your support system? Like, how? Did so, you do so, time? so, um, initially, um, went to church. And it's, it's it's definitely a God thing because things come together, right? And uh, so when I told God that I was going to change and that giving up the control of my life, the whole thing, you know, um, I, I said to myself, I got to really figure out what this means to be a Christian because when I came back from Madagascar trying to be a, a cool Christian kid, I was really vulnerable to being bullied and and picked on and, and kind of viewed a Christian life as being a weakling. And I was like, I gotta do this and figure it out so I don't so I'm not a weakling. You know, I don't wanna I don't wanna get picked on again. Still real real sensitive to that stuff. Um so yeah. Um so in my pursuit of figuring out what it was like to live a Christian life, I joined a Bible study. I joined uh, Chi Alpha Students for Christ, started going there every week, started going to InterVarsity, did another Bible study, oh, and then FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, did I say that one? Um, and then, of course, there was church on Sunday, but I had, I had something going on every day of the week except for Saturday. <laughs> so you just threw yourself into... I was like, I'm going to figure this out. Yeah. I'm going to figure this out. I don't want to be a square. I don't want to be a, a pushover. I don't want to be you know, vulnerable or dumb, you know. So that was that was a big part of my sport. And then, of course, boxing was a huge support. You know, I had uh, Chuck uh, Horton, who was a um, major, major support. I mean, he let me live in the gym when uh, when I got kicked out of my house, you know. Like, mm-hmm. he kicked me out of the gym, then my house kicked me out of there. And then, uh, you know, it's just one thing after another, and all of a sudden I'm living at the gym. Pretty cool. Yep. Living in, yeah. So you're boxing, because we know, like, in this in this area, it's like, oh, Zach Walters, Jungle Boy Boxing. Yeah. So where did the name come from? When did your boxing career actually occur? Because you did quite well in boxing. Did pretty good. Yeah. 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 So kind of walk us through your so, boxing career So a uh, I wanted to pay Chuck back for the lawyer, which wasn't cheap. And uh, <clears throat> I felt really, like, fortunate that here I am, you know, on borrowed time being not locked up. I was like, wow, this is just great, you know? And like, I really got on board with this whole God's got a plan for my life. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11, just major cool verse for for those that want to open a Bible and check it out, cool verse. Um, yeah, it's, uh, um, wanted to pay him back for a lawyer and I figured if I fight pro, I can make money a lot faster than washing dishes at a local restaurant, which is what I was doing. And, uh, so I told Jack I wanted to go pro and kind of weighed the options. And I said, hey, you know, I live here for free. You don't make me pay any rent, so I don't have much bills. I'll fight, and I'll just pay it off accordingly, you mm-hmm. know. And that's how my pro career 
got started. Um, and uh, so then when posters were coming out for the first the first uh, show, he's like, yeah, you need a ring name, you know? And I was like, I don't need a ring name, you know? It's Zach. <laughs> you know? Zach. <laughs> That's my nickname. Yeah. You know? Because Zachary is my full name. You know, yeah. like, no, it's not going to work, you know? So then uh, he uh, put the told me when the posters come out, you're going to have a, a ring name, and if you don't like it, you can change it up next time, but you're going to get a ring name. I didn't think it was going to do nothing. Posters come out, and it's Jungle Boy. And I'm like, that's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm like, why'd you pick that? It doesn't, it doesn't sound tough. Why not, like, the anything else, like Jungle Warrior or something tough, you know? Like, you know, it doesn't sound tough, you know? <laughs> Not even and, Jungle uh, Man. It's just Jungle Boy. <laughs> jungle Boy. I'm like, this is, that's, that's not cool. That's, that's kind of weak, you know? But uh, he goes, I, all those all those times we, we'd be on road trips, I'd share stories about Madagascar. I got tons of them. He'd share stories about, you know, his childhood and, and uh, the being an army ranger and stuff. And we had, it'd be the two of us up all night driving from here to Colorado Springs and whatnot. Anyways, he said, yeah, you're going to be Jungle Boy. And I was like, all right, whatever. So I'm starting to think of like a... Walk out music. I'm like, ah, can't, couldn't find the right thing, couldn't find the right fit. And then I found uh, Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. I'm like, Which you didn't know because you didn't grow up here. I never knew the song existed. All of us. But, the, but that was would epic. Be like, of course, it's Welcome to the Jungle. I'm like, this song is epic. <laughs> so, I, so I used it for my pro debut. And, uh, and it was just like, done. Yeah, game over. So yeah. like that is my song. So every single fight, I had that as my walk-up music. Yeah. So Pretty. you started your pro career when you were 20... 22, 21? No, 20, 21, 22. So you're kind of a tall guy. Yeah. Is that... That's not real normal in boxing, right? Are you kind no, of I got, a, yeah, everybody gets put in a weight class, you know? So really... Because I'm just thinking tall guy... You know, just more square footage to hit. <laughs> yep, a lot more target to hit. You gotta yeah. be fast. Yeah, yeah. Every, no matter what. When bo- boxing, you, you learn how to use your body type. If you're short, you learn how to fight short. If you're tall, you learn how to fight tall. Mm-hmm. If you got long reach, you can fight with long reach. You just gotta figure out what you're good at, what your assets are, and if you were that other guy, how is he gonna beat you up? What does he gotta do to beat you up? If he's short, he's gotta get close. I can keep him at bay, yay me, you know. Um, if he's got a nasty left hook or something, what do you do? You walk, you you move the other direction, you know. Um, there's there's a strategy for everybody, you know, and, and it's getting them to to fall into your strategy that makes it work. Yeah, you know, everybody's got style, you know, but you have to be able to adapt. You can't fight everybody the same way, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. What what about boxing? Why did you fall in love with boxing? Was it just happened to be circumstantial, or it's was kind of it circumstantial? Yeah, I I liked fighting. It didn't really have a big fear complex. I was like, well, all right, I like to fight. I, Mom says I need to do a sport. This will help me fight better, so I'll just do this one. Yeah, you know, and so like. Uh, it didn't really like stop getting in trouble right away, mm-hmm. and didn't really stop getting in fights either right away. But eventually, I did. Yeah. And eventually, I, I learned that I got a special set of skills that make 
boxing a lot funner than just fighting because then there's no satisfaction. It's whack, you know? Yeah. So what, what is that special set of skills? Unpack that because boxing is something I don't know a lot about, but I'm listening to you and I'm like, wow, boxing is like chess. Yeah. It's like master strategy, like in business. Like in, I mean, there's just, there's so much more clearly that goes into it. You just, so, you you know. just learn how to like defend yourself in a way that works really efficiently with your fists. And so it's like a martial art. I mm-hmm. guess I, I call it the art of boxing. You hear me posting on Facebook, it's the art of boxing. I teach the art of boxing, you know, so I, I, I kind of equal it to like a martial art that you get to use your fists, you know. Of course, there's other gray areas, you know, headbutting and elbowing and stuff too. Those things happen also, but but ultimately it's your fist, bam. So it's hitting a person uh, square from uh, as far away as possible and not getting hit back. That's kind of like the definition of boxing that I like to use is being able to hit a person with a fist from the maximum distance without being hit back. So you hit them, they don't hit you. Yeah. Move, you know. So were you able to pay back Chuck? Yeah, well, you know, I was well on my way and uh, we had a fight out in um, Seattle or Tacoma, Washington, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was pretty epic match. Um Crazy, crazy match. So I'm uh, boxing Louis Lopez, who I will never forget his name. He actually passed away from stuff. But uh, um, so we get in there and, and we're battling it out. And I'm I'm three and zero. Oh, he's four and three, right? So he's got seven pro fights. But I'm like, he lost three times. I got three wins. Nobody's beat me before, you know. So I'm kind of cocky. Well, I didn't know that his four wins were all in a row. Boom, 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 boom. And he's kind of like the local favorite comeback kid. You know, I didn't know all that stuff. I just knew that I'm fighting Louis Lopez. So I get in there and I'm like, dude, he is really short and he is not cut at all. He's kind of kind of like kind of a, a softer build. You know, I'm like, he's two weight classes heavy. He shouldn't be in my weight class. I'm gonna smash him. So anyways, um first round, I peppered him with shots. I peppered him, I bashed him all over the place. Next round, he came back, and he didn't seem to be affected much. I'm like, okay, I'm going to beat you up even more. Bam, 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 bam. But then the second round was done. I was exhausted, and he was kind of like, his face was messed up, but he was kind of the same dude. Like, that's all you got? (laughs) And he comes back the third round, and I'm like, okay, so it's a four-round fight. I'm still early in my career. And uh, as I'm like, third round, I'm going to hit and move, you know, because I'm getting kind of cocky in my head because I've had two good rounds, right? I'm going to hit and move and keep my distance and, you know, get my save my my finale for round four. Well, Louie came really hard at me. Bam, bam, bam. I, was, I can't remember exactly how it worked, but I got tagged with a shot and I pivoted around this way. And then next thing I know, I'm on the floor and he's, like, walking away. And I just watched watch his boots just kind of walk away. I'm like... <sighs> ultimate embarrassment you know, on the floor. You don't even remember getting hit. So I was like, I'm on the floor. I shouldn't be on the floor. Where's the count at? And the guy, I don't know, I jump up and I'm like wobbly legs. You know, I'm a tall guy. So I'm like, like a wet noodle, like flopping around, you know. Somehow I survived the round. Somehow. I'm just like, just keep punching. Just keep punching. He tagged me. My eardrum, I later found out my eardrum got, got popped. So I had a broken eardrum from this match. So anyways, I survived the round, come back, and Chuck was like, Zach, 
you're not going to knock, stop trying to knock this guy out. You know, I was like, I got to knock him out or they're going to steal the win. You know, I got to knock him out. Just, you can't knock him out. He's got a cement head. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, Chuck, I got to knock him out. He's like, whatever. You know, so like, give me some water. And I went out there thinking to myself, I've got to knock out Louis Lopez and went to war again. And phew, the punches lined up perfect for this salvo of just perfectly landed shots. Bam, 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 bam. And the last shot was his uppercut, and I got it on video, where I hit him, and the the mouth guard just goes, it boomerangs out of his mouth, and he goes, flat. yeah, gets laid out flat like a starfish. I'm like, ah, I knocked him out. <laughs> it was pretty sick. And so then I won the fight, and you know, and I got my check, went over to the cashier, cashed my check, and then went over to pay Chuck, and he goes, get, 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 you keep that, we're square now. You know, how so, did that make you feel? Felt pretty cool. Felt pretty cool. Chuck told me he had a had a encounter with God that day. He said this is a dark dome, and he said that you know, when he walked up to the ring, he looks up and he's like, he sees light everywhere. You you watch the video and he's just kind of like, he said that everything lit up in the in the, in the Tacoma dome. Kind of nuts. So it's like a big spiritual thing for Chuck and definitely a big moment for my life. And, yep. Wow. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. So. What do you think of Matt? I love your story. Um, I think it's awesome. I'm curious on one thing. Um, you had said you had viewed Christianity as being a weakling. Yeah. Can I ask you what you think about Christianity today i think it's awesome yeah how did you how did you resolve that like because that was clearly a mission of yours in your own mind like wait a minute this is what got me in trouble and i felt like i was a week in a target well now how do i do that like how did you well i was tired of like me calling my shots got my got me in a lot of trouble doing things my way i kept on running into problems and i was like done doing it my way you know, seems like a lot of these Christian people seem pretty happy. I don't think they have problems like me, you know, so I'll live that way, you know. And uh, um, I always had a, I didn't like totally like ditch God altogether, you know. Um, never never just rejected God or anything like that. Um, so like even though I was kind of like, I always had this, like, I'm like a Robin Hood complex, you know? Like, I'm a good guy doing bad things, but somehow it's for the greater good, you know? Somehow I find myself in court. (laughs) Somehow, (laughs) somehow, you know, the, you know, uh, yeah, Sheriff Sheriff Nottingham caught up with me a couple times. Um, But, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of a Robin Hood, but I don't know. Um, I was always a good dude. I just did dumb things did bad things, you know, but sometimes, yeah, but like being a Christian, being a Christian now, you know, like, um, I see it as like the truth. I see it as like the way to live. I see it as like, uh, anybody who, I don't like push it on people, you know? Um, but I, I try to stay conscious of like, uh, someone that could use, a, use a lift up, you know, at the right time, you know? Um, yeah, so I don't see it as weak anymore. Um, yeah, it's 
I think it's, there's always a, a there's always like a little feeling of vulnerability that comes down. I don't know if I'm ever going to shake that, you know. Um, sure. Stepping out in faith, um, you know, yeah. Like uh, there was a, I, I started a Bible study at my gym, um, two, three, four, maybe it's a month now. Boy, time flies. But I was like kind of nervous to like pull the trigger on on having a Bible study at my gym, like. How everybody's gonna know I'm a Christian, and what if I'm like accept? What if I'm not accepting of all faiths, and what if, you know, someone else wants to come in here and do something different? I'm like, my mind was like spinning around, like you know what, the the sermon at church that day was the the following weekend was like, you know what, you just gotta step out in faith and like gotta do all the rest of the stuff, you know. Yeah. I'm like, okay, fine, post it, and it's been great. It's been good. It's been uh, the right thing for the right people at the right time, and. This is something my, my gym manager, Evan Rosidlo, he runs it. So it's his baby. Um, and he's just doing a phenomenal job. Blessed to have him in the gym. So, um, yeah, so I guess I guess there's always like a little little fear factor. I don't know, don't know if that's ever going to go away or if that's just something that, who knows, you keep me talking spiritual stuff, man. The devil's always trying to trick you up too, you know. Well, because it sounds like, I mean, this is your story. Yeah. And everybody's story is uniquely theirs, and it, I mean, you own your story, yeah. period. Yeah. Nobody can say your story is not your story. This is all pretty good because I'm going to be yeah. talking to Teen Challenge in a couple of weeks. <laughs> well, and, and, and that, that was kind of my statement to lead into the fact that you are, um, you really, you have a story, you know, and it's not like, oh, the classic stuff that every teenager can talk about. Like, you really, um, you've been through it. You know, you've been at your end. You've been homeless. You've been kicked out. You've been in addiction. You've been with people, everybody rejecting you. I mean, really, and it's, it's, kind of and it's but it's, it's a hard thing because society now wants to say, we can do whatever we want and don't reject me. And if, and if you reject me, that's your issue. It's kind of like, but where's the ownership of the fact that you choose to do dumb stuff? That's the consequences that, you know, I, there's a balance there. You know, so just taking what I when I'm listening to you, I'm like, oh, my gosh, Zach took complete ownership of the horrible stuff he did. He said, what do I need to do to put things in my life to make a change? And I'm just going all in with those things that, you know, are going to help me do that. I mean, that's amazing. It, so. it, it was. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. You know, because, you know, I just took a step out and just said what I want and I went for it, mm-hmm. you know, Um you know, like uh, where there's some tough times along the way, definitely. I feel bad for the people that got hurt along the way, you know, because. How's your relationship with your parents? Super good. Yeah. And yeah. How, how has that been through this whole thing? Like what, looking back on that, you're like, wow. You know, like what? I don't know. They never stopped believing. I mean, that was cool, you know. Um, yeah. They always, you know, were, we're quick to point out that you know, my dad had a saying, God can make good things come out of a lousy situation. You know, I always remember that. And then another one is uh, um, work hard, pray hard, and leave the rest up to God. That's another one. But uh, the God can make good things come out of a lousy situation, That that's always stuck with me. You know, so sometimes things, they seem pretty lousy. But, you know, they come out okay, you know, so so now if, like, things don't go as planned, I'm, I'm, 
it's, I don't really characterize them as like trouble or problems or anything. This is just like out of problems come some really cool stories, you know, whether it's a camping trip that goes wrong or a vacation that goes wrong. There's these like, it was going this way and it turned it around and now it's a cool story. But they only become cool stories if you turn them around. So with me, when things don't go as planned, I'm like, sweet, let's figure this out because that's going to be a cool story. You know, I just got this, like, confidence when I tackle difficult things that this is going to be a cool story. You know, like the whole, uh, I don't know if you ever heard it, it's like you can't have a testimony without a test kind of thing. You know, it's like this is going to be a cool story, you know. Um, but there's a confidence then that there's yeah. always a, a, a successful end. Like you are, you are absolutely convinced that doesn't matter what comes your way, yeah. there is a path forward, there is a success, there is something that is better. Somehow, some way, it's yep. going to work out. Yep. And I just, I always tackle things like, it's going to work out somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, the, Because uh, yeah. there was a pandemic this last year, so basically everybody in everywhere but, has felt like, wait a minute, this is not how I plan my life. Wait a minute, these things are out of my control. Wait a minute. These things are testing me. Nobody had them in the control, but how we deal with it is what separates us, right? So how do we deal with things when my gym gets shut down, downtown gets shut down, <laughs> I can't do it. It's hard to meet with people. It's like I just remind myself, how I deal with this is what's going to separate me from the others or whatever. You know, so with my gym, my gym was shut down, so did I just not do boxing? No. I sat with a pen and paper and worked out a business plan to, to open up a mixed martial arts branch. So I got mixed martial arts in my gym now. Mm-hmm. And I changed my gym concept to a 24 hours boxing program where people can come in around the clock and bleep, fob in and go hit stuff. Yay. You know, it's, it's pretty sick. You know, and, and all this kind of took place during COVID. And uh, now I got a cool situation. But all the planning and the pen to paper stuff happened in those off hours when my gym was closed, you know? And so now it's, I came out of it boxing wise, feeling pretty cool. Cause you had to make a new strategy cause your opponent was different now. That's right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, processing all this Zach, like really, wow. Uh, you know, it's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Because so, you know, you now you're at 40, true. right? Okay. I mean, we've only, tasted of all the Zach stories, really. Yeah. So you've lived like 10 lifetimes. It's kind of cool. Like I look back and I got these chapters. I got these 10-year these chapters, which I'm mm-hmm. a goal setter. And I got this goal process I do every year. Um, I got this thing, Dreams, Goals, Steps. You know, I used to do talks when back when I used to get lots of invitations to talk to kids in schools and youth groups and conventions and yeah, all kinds. Because of, you're uh, boxing, or because of boxing, definitely gave me um, a platform. A platform, a platform to to be kind of appealing to different crowds of people. You know. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're a boxer. You're a rough, tough. Like you're every little boy's like, ooh, that's the man's yeah, that's man. So I'm thinking of the mess. Like what message? Because like you don't want to be telling kids, yeah, just you know, punch the bully in the face. You know, do I mean like that's sometimes obvious. that works though. True, but you know what I'm sometimes saying. Sometimes they just don't get the message verbally. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you. But the whole point is, the whole point is, I'm sure um, your message is about you know taking responsibility for yourself Absolutely. and stand. You know, like so. Give me a, a cliff note version of, not even a cliff note version. Like, you know, what do you want your life to represent? What do you want to be putting out there into the, into the world of like, what's your investment? What is, you know, Jungle Boy Zach Walters' investment into humanity right now? You know, I want to like uh, help people live life to their full. You know, that's, uh, you know, one thing that. Um, when I got my life on track and kind of took control of my life, uh, I realized that I was a person with a lot of potential. I realized that I was smart. I realized that I had some pretty cool abilities. And uh, I never wanted people to say, yeah, you know what, that Zach, he had a lot of potential. Because if down the road people spoke of me as in having potential, that means that I moved on and didn't live up to it. You know, I'd rather have people say, wow, that's that. He really got it going on, meaning I'm living up to my potential, you know. And so there's always been this uh, it's kind of this burden I've carried around. Like, I've got to um, keep on evolving, and there's, there's more that can be done. And, and uh, um, I'm always up to something. I'm always, I'm always trying to grow, expand, become more. I'm a big personal development kind of kind of do it I love that stuff you know and unless you're becoming bigger from the inside you're not going to become bigger on the outside you know so uh, um, leadership was always something that historically I, I tried to avoid places of leadership but it seems like I keep on being put into places of leadership which is pretty nuts like for instance the the group home that I went into I'm the president of the board of directors for them now which is like super nuts you know, I, you know, like my wife joked around when I told her about it a couple years ago. I said, she goes, uh, he went from resident to president, you know, <laughs> and I was like, that's awesome. You know, so, that's, so seeing that in people everywhere know, around you, like the fact that you've now lived that and you've seen the pain of that un, um, unfulfilled and un seen well you know potential here's one of the things like um i feel like i was living below my potential for a while and then i dug a big hole i worked really 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 hard just to get back up to par you know and i said why stop now just keep working and keep going up you know because it seems like some people they, they'll get themselves in a pinch in life and they're like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to change. I'm going to fix this. And and they, they do enough to, to work their way out of their problem and solve their problem. But then they stop working hard. Why stop working hard? So by There's, default, you're going to go backwards. But if you by default, can, why, yeah. why, why stay? Mm-hmm. Why not stay on the grind? You know, why, why not keep going forward? You know? Well, in life, there's no really, there's no, you don't just stay status quo in life. Oh, no. You're either going forward or backwards. True. So... Yeah. And, uh, um, so you see that potential in everybody around you. Yeah. And you're, the inward workings of so, you is just like you just want to dig in and help people see that. Yeah. And so like I can't help everybody. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm in charge of those that in my little sphere of influence, you know. Mm-hmm. So I got my B&I folks. I like my B&I folks, you know. I got my gym people. I got, now I got my MMA people. 
I got my kids, my family. Mm-hmm. What's um, your mission for <laughs> your gym? My mission of my gym mm-hmm. um, is to help disadvantaged youth and keep them away from drugs and delinquency. That is the mission statement. Mm-hmm. It's to teach teach the art of boxing mm-hmm. uh, to disadvantaged youth and keep them away from drugs and delinquency. So that's that's the mission statement on Jungle Boy Boxing Gym. So now Jungle Boy Boxing Gym is uh, yeah. So it's the Jungle Gym. Now it's now it's just Jungle Gym because we got MMA also. So now it's you know. I give them some. So that's jungle gym. It's the jungle gym. Well, jungle gym. Like to, so, so if people didn't know, which they, why would they know? Um, actually, my staff doesn't even know. I'm taking my entire coffee shop staff, and we are going down to Zach's gym, and Zach is going to do an initial, like, big session with them, and then I'm going to offer. Is that tonight still? No, it was on my calendar. I'm like, yeah, no, because we're we're no. we've had. Um, it's the she end has, of school year. She so scared. This is where excuses come up. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Sorry. It's the staff's issue. Um, no, we're just going to, we're, we're going to onboard. Where's the ownership, pal? I know. I know. <laughs> we're going to onboard the new staff and get them stable and then go to Zach's. Because we're getting so many new people on staff right now. Right? I, I thought, well, it. I don't want to do this. And then two weeks later, we have more new staff. So I'm going to wait until all this new staff comes and then we can go as a group. Yeah. Because it'll be a great team building thing. They get to know Zach. And I want to you know do my part as an owner to expose them to a really good organization that can teach and train them more than just uh you know here get on a stairmaster get on a whatever i mean like gyms are great but to me zach is so missional and can invest in people's lives more than just the physicalness yeah and so we're going to do that as a staff and then anybody who wants to continue on um yellow bike is going to offer to uh, underwrite you know half of those fees and, you know, c- to make it a habit, you yeah. know, because that's just something really good else thing. we discussed was uh, on the co- on the phone call last week or whatever was a portion of the proceeds from the coffee that gets purchased from the Zach brand or whatever it's going to be called. Yeah. What Ju- are we going to call it? The jungle blend. Why not? Knockout. No, no, that's no. dumb. That's lame. We got to come up with a name. So knockout. Maybe- I was going to be like, I don't no, if well, no, I'm just saying, yeah. But we have to come out with a name because um, we're actually trying to source. There's a there's a co-op in Madagascar run there's, by 30 women. I and, talked to my dad about coffee yeah. in Madagascar yep. already. Yeah, so we're gonna try to source some green beans out of this 30 member woman owned co-op. I don't know if we can do it. It may end up be like 800 dollars a bag, but we're gonna shoot for trying to get some actual Madagascar beans and. See what we can do, wow. but that's that's the goal. The goal is then to produce, you know, this coffee because Zach loves coffee. Yeah, he's a coffee guy. So, but if you're if you're doing business with like in our Miel products, we mm-hmm. got like vanilla in our like lotions and mm-hmm. stuff. The vanilla comes from Madagascar. Yeah, because we want to hook up Madagascar. So we get Madagascar legit vanilla, which is one of their major exports, by the way. Do you? I think everybody is familiar. Like that, they have at least heard Madagascar. I think they know lemurs oh, from yeah. Madagascar, so and cool. I think they know the vanilla. Um, how many? How much uh, connections do you still have back in Madagascar? Your family not still have friends? Ma- or? Not too many. You know, my dad's my dad's former business partner Leon. Leon still lives out there. So we'll mm-hmm. and he's uh, um, started like a, a church school in his neighborhood. So mm-hmm. we send out like pens and papers and stuff every yeah. now and then. Big. Big quantity of stuff. Yeah, from to have like supplies. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Everybody's getting older, you know. Just you, not me. 
no, in Madagascar. You know, like <laughs> I went back out there when I was when I was eighteen, and uh, bumped into some of my old friends that came before we left, and they're already like in like adult jobs with like two kids and stuff, and they're like eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old. And it's like and you're like, wait, we used to tussle in the rice paddies. What's yeah, going on? Yeah, and, uh, and they're just like so grown up, you know. Yeah. Just I looked at them and like, you guys are like, man, I still feel like a kid, mm-hmm. you know. But it was just things happen a little faster. I think life expectancy is a little shorter out there too. Whatever. Yeah. 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 Why Duluth? Why? Why did you come to Duluth? And well, I know why you came to Duluth, but why did you you stay? Like it sounds like Madagascar. Growing up was an incredible place. You were living the dream, spearfishing, hanging out in the jungle, and then you came to the frozen tundra for yeah. 10 out of 12 months of the year. You know, um, came here, so, like, my first, so, like, uh, coming to Duluth was, like, probably Woodland Hills introduced me to Duluth, and we went around doing, like, a lot of work projects and stuff, but I always uh, kind of fell in love with the, the, the city from seeing it from so many people's yards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can see the lake. And uh, the lake is something pretty nice. Uh, it reminds me of the ocean, you know. Um, I stayed here for college, and then um, when I was done with college, my my pro boxing career was going on. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, I should probably sit up and shoot a picture. Hey, no, 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 slouchy. Who's that, Zach? Slouchy. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I just decided to stay here and finish up my boxing career. Um, and then right before the end of my boxing career, I started uh, in the insurance business. And so when I was done with boxing, it was, it was another really big change. You know, really felt really weird. And had I not gone through major changes before, it would have been even harder on me. But I said, okay, so I got this insurance thing. Do I ride that out or do I change altogether? And I said, well, you know, I'm just going to go all out with this insurance thing and see how, see how it works out. Okay, wait. So pro boxing to insurance, that's a pretty dramatic. How did that, how did you reconcile that in your brain? And what do you love about insurance? Um, the, the, the attraction to insurance at first was the flexibility so that in between fights I could do insurance, you know. Um, cause there was these times when I was fighting and that was all I did where there's these big gaps where I just hang out at coffee shops and read books and play chess and mm-hmm. <laughs> play cards. You know, I was like, I'm a college graduate, you know, doesn't matter that I don't have to work right now. I kind of want to do something more productive, you know? So I, I tried, uh, working as a, a drug treatment counselor for a little bit, um, and I did uh, the assistant counselor stuff, ran groups, and, you know, did all that kind of stuff for a while. But then that was a, a very tight schedule where when I had to go to training camp, changing my schedule for boxing created a big mess, you know, mm-hmm. with scheduling. I always felt bad walking out of group with these people that I wasn't going to be able to celebrate them graduating. And then when I came back from boxing camp, I'd have, like, busted up face, you know, and after my fights, I'd come back, and there'd be, like, one person that remembered who I was, and the rest of all graduated, and 
felt bad like ditching them halfway through their recovery journey in treatment. So, anyways, uh, insurance was a good fit, you know, for the to do it along with boxing. I didn't intend to quit boxing when I did. It just my last mm-hmm. fight. After that fight, I knew it was my last fight. You know, really. I didn't really know it at first. Then uh, Chuck and I had a conversation, and uh, I was like, "Yeah, it's it's been a good run. I'm gonna finish on top instead of like chase the mirage." You know, I got. Uh, I became, I, I accomplished a lot more than people ever thought I was going to accomplish. Um, so let's talk about that. Let's, let's inter, interlude right there real quick. What was your boxing accomplishments? And then we'll finish up talking, like, how um, you got into insurance. So I won, I won the Minnesota uh, state title. That mm-hmm. was pretty cool. Um, I won it by knockout, then I defended it. Then uh, later on, I won the United States national title. The North America Boxing, uh, NABA, North American Boxing Association national title got me ranked really high up in the world, and then uh, I won the Africa Boxing Union title, which is even bigger, like King of Africa, Zach. You know, pretty cool. Um, that was neat. That was with the WBC. I got rated 12 in the world. Um, so out of thousands of boxers in my weight class, I was rated number 12 and rated up. In the who's who, you know, in the conversation, be, you know, you'd open the boxing magazines and mm-hmm. there'd be like an article about me in there. I was like, this is really cool. It's like living the dream. It's That's pretty, awesome. It's pretty nuts, you know. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, uh, I remember fighting out in New York and I was walking through the mall um, after weigh-ins or whatever, just kind of walking off some stuff, walking off energy or whatever. And the, the Foot Locker guys were like, oh, man, they look like Jungle Boy. And I straight up the Foot Locker dude, like, you, hey, you Jack Walters, you Jungle Boy? And I'm like, yeah. And I was like, I got recognized in, like, New York. That was kind of cool. <laughs> That's awesome. And they're like, yeah, we're going to the fights tonight. And, you know, I don't know, it's just, just kind of a cool, like, uh, here I am, like, states away from where I'm from. And, like, I get recognized, and it's a, and it's a big deal. Yeah. You know, so now it's like, I, I still get, like, uh, walk through a skywalk and, so I say, what's up, Jungle Boy? You know, and I have a mask on and stuff. And I'm yeah. Like, hey. You yeah. Know? Still feels kind of cool, you know, to be remembered. So yeah, you're 12th in the world. Yep. Now you're doing insurance. Yeah. It's uh, it's not as exciting. Um, but. Uh, but there has to be aspects of it that keep you there. It's still competitive, you know. Um, it's still it's still competitive. You still there's a whatever I do, I want to do my best at it. You know, I don't want to be just in the mix and be okay. I want to be good at what I do, you know? And so, um, yeah. So there's, there's a, the competitive side of me comes out, you know? Um, not that I want to like take over the world or anything, but no, but if you want to do a good job, if you're my insurance guy and I know that that competitiveness comes out, that makes me feel good. Should really, because it's like, I know that you now are defending me. And you're going to help me. And it's like, so that competitiveness, like in the business world, can be really, really good. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, so, so that, that definitely helps. Um, it's, just a, it's just a fun career. Like, there's, there's no ceiling. That's the thing that I like about it. It's like, it's not like you, you join insurance and you start doing insurance and there's like a set wage and you can't. There's like some kind of ceiling holding you down. Like, mm-hmm. that's your pay grade. You know, I can just keep on expanding and growing, you know, where... I started out 
working just by myself. Now I have two people that work for me and I have my own little agency branch, mm -hmm. um, which allows me the flexibility to just punch out in the middle of the day and come talk to you guys. You which know? is awesome. Thank which you. Which is so cool. Yeah. You know, and then like, what's going on at the gym? I got Evan working there. He's running the gym. Mm -hmm. So it's like this, this next graduation step for me seems to be like all the leadership stuff that I've been putting in. I'm kind of like becoming like a owner of two businesses. I'm, I'm becoming more like a business owner, more so than just a boxing coach or just an insurance agent. I'm like managing people instead of managing tasks. You're replicating. Um, so, but yeah, you know, like, so turning 40 was a big deal for me, you know, and it's like, I looked at my chapters of my life, you know, it's like the teen chapter, like the one through 10 or whatever, like kind of like Madagascar. And then like the teenage years were like coming to America and just chaotic mess. And then like the twenties was kind of like my pro boxing chapter. My thirties was starting a family boxing coach, starting an insurance business. And so turning 40, I'm like, okay, let's start talking about years in 10 10 year chunks, you know, mm -hmm. let's plan out this decade, you know what? So I really got thinking like what I want to achieve, not next year, but in the next decade. Mm -hmm. And so, um, the whole mission there is, is, uh, um, really deliver a, a big impact, make an impact, you know? Um, I got this whole vision in my mind about changing the way people view Duluthians, like, like, we're out state in boxing. People from the cities are like, we're so bad, we're so good. You know, we show up from like Duluth and like, oh, you small town folks, you know, what are you doing down here? And we go down there, we mop them up. It's pretty fun. Uh, we, we take names. It's a lot of fun. Um, so, anyways, I got this idea of like getting shirts to say, don't mess with Duluth. You know, I want to I wanna get into like schools and teach elementary kids and just get into all the FIAG classes and just like, Teach everybody just the basics of throwing good punches. Everybody. Because if everybody knows how to fight a little bit, people ain't going to be picking fights because they know that they'll, they'll mess each other up. If both me and you know how to fight, yeah, we, we ain't going to come out of it looking pretty. You know, right. no, no matter who wins, it's going it's to be a mess, you know? Um, so if everybody knows how to fight a little bit, they're probably less bullies. Um, and then if people come to town, they'd probably be a lot more respectful, you know? Don't pick fights in Duluth, they'll whoop you. You know, so I have this big this big vision of like teaching everybody a little bit about fighting and kind of make that like my my thing. Like Zach Do you find that when people have skills for self defense that because I think the I think the un this is just a guess. So this is just my guess. Tell me if this is right or wrong. I don't know. The 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 uneducated instinct is, oh, if you teach me how to fight, now I'm gonna be a fighter. But I, I, I'm suspicious that if you teach me how to fight, now I actually have more restraint because I know I can if I need to. Do you know what I'm saying? Is you that know what you're capable of doing, and you kind of feel bad about what's about to happen before it happens. It's kind of where you're at. It's so like, my question is, if you teach everybody to fight, you think there would actually be less fights? Probably, yeah. It might take a little spike in the beginning. Yeah. If people figure it out. I don't know. It, it each their own. You know, um, so what do you say? What do you say then? We could really curiously rabbit trail right now because what do you say to moms then? Yeah. And what do you say to the movement of like there should never be any violence anywhere? 
There's always me balance because there's always me bad eggs out there, you know. But bad eggs are just, you know, people that need to be corrected, you know. Um, oh, but you should just sit them down, Zach. No, but just like, sit them down and just have no, a like, rational conversation with them. There is that. There is that place, but you have to get them to that place because if they're not ready to accept it, then they're not gonna. Yeah. But honestly, like any every bully out there is a scared kid that probably has other stuff going on. Who knows if, you know, he's a bully to me, but. There's someone who's a bully to him that makes him cast that upon me, which makes Correct. me feel bad for him. You That's know? one thing I've gotten out of your story is the fact that I know the Zach Walter sitting in front of me. And I'm like, this is the guy who's got the biggest heart in the world, will do anything to help anybody. But the 13 to 17 year old kid you described. Wow. Yeah. That's just a hurt and scared kid. That it came out over this, so the the bully and the anger and the violence is the symptom. But how do you weed through that to get to the person to help that person? You know, you know everybody's got their their path they got to take to get to where they got to be. Yeah. You know, um, and hopefully they everybody gets the opportunity the opportunity to take that that walk that path. You know? So you want to create that opportunity? Yeah. That's your you mission know, in life. But I can't do it for everybody. But like right. people that walk into a boxing gym are certain kind of people. You know, like, almost everybody that comes into the gym, they got their own stuff, you know? And uh, whatever their goal is, I try to understand it, understand what they want to get out of it, help them reach it, you know? And, like, you help a person succeed at one thing, and you start to see that that success bleed into other parts of their life. Just like something bad can come into a person's life, and then bleed into other parts of their life, so too can something good. And so I try to put something good and let that bleed into other parts where, like, like wow, I could be good at boxing. Maybe I can finish high school. You know, I, I, wow, I achieved something. I won a match. I faced my fears and, and won it. Maybe I'll stand up for myself and start to get some self-respect, you know. Um, I learned a certain set of skills that it's, boxing uh next time i see someone getting you know bullied or pushed around maybe i'll just come over there and hey can i help you know what's going on here get in the get get in the mix instead Mm -hmm. of walking past someone in a situation you know yeah you know it's it's a good thing so i I kind of feel responsible for the people that are right in front of me you know who knows where that's going to go but but work hard do the best let god sort it out right yeah that's right yeah. That's awesome. Zach, it's yeah. been a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. Matt, you have anything else? That was great. Thank you. Cool.